joy for us this morning to be able to open God's word and hear from, um, from God himself. And so to do that this morning, bringing the message of John McHale. John is the pastor of community groups. That's right. At Central at yeah. Parkview. Here. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray for him. Father God, Lord, thank you for this brother. I thank you for the encouragement, the friendship that he has um, been to me, Lord. And so just pray right now as he opens your word, Father, I pray that um, you allow him to speak with power, um, with grace, and with truth. Father, I pray that you would use him um, to encourage your saints, to challenge your saints, Lord. Um, I pray that you'd speak to us now. We ask his name. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, it's great to be here with you and to open up God's Word. Uh, we started a new series last week um, on the I Am sayings of Jesus, the seven I Am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. If you look on your bulletin on the front, there's a little graphic that outlines all seven, uh, so you can take a look at that. But we're in John's Gospel, uh, John 8 this week, if you want to turn there. John, uh, this book of John is one of four biographies written about the life of Jesus. And it's a unique among the four in the sense of it, it gives us more of the teaching of Jesus than we find in the other three Gospels. If the other three Gospels are focused on the, the ministry and the actions of Jesus, John is definitely more focused on his words, his teaching. And we see that in these I Am sayings. These I am sayings are loaded with significance. They're really, really special. Why a whole series on them? Because there is something about Jesus that we discover when we study these sayings that is powerful and hopefully life-changing. Now, two things about these sayings that I'll just say as, as we get going, and these will be applied to all of the I am sayings. The first thing that's happening is there's something unique in the construction of the I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am. And what Jesus is doing and what John is doing as he writes this biography of Jesus is it's a direct reference back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Yahweh God revealed himself and he Moses was kind of he was nervous and a little squeamish, and he said, who should I say to send me when he went to go set the people of Israel free? And God said, tell them I am sent you. And there's tons we could say about that self-revelation, self-existence of the Old Testament Yahweh. But what Jesus is doing is he's pointing back, and he's saying, Yahweh is me. He's identifying himself as Yahweh. So he's looking backward, but then he's also looking forward to his own personal identity as the second person of the Trinity, as the Son of God. He's helping us understand something of his identity. And what we want to do is think through what, what does that mean for us? As we look at Jesus teaching about himself, now how should we live? So that's what we're going to do as we look at this second I am saying, the light of the world. So we're in John 8, verse 12. I'm just going to read one verse. Hopefully this will help us focus and zero in on 
what we find in verse 12. John 8, verse 12. This is God's word. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me pray that God would bless our time under his word. Lord, we pause. We've prayed already, but we pause intentionally here to recognize that we need you. I've done tons of study, and I'm tempted to think I know something. But we need you this morning to show us, shine a spotlight on Jesus, that we would discover more about him, that we would treasure him with greater passion, that we would love him with a deep affection. Meet us in this moment by your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so most of us here in this room have the unique privilege of having eyeballs that work. Maybe not perfectly. I see lots of people in here with glasses. But most of us here in this room, if not all of us in this room, have eyeballs that work. We can see. But there's a small portion of the population that doesn't have that. Physical blindness, um, physical blindness is, it inhibits most of the simple tasks we do with ease. We go to the store. A blind person, there's a fraught with challenge. We carry groceries up the stairs. Challenge. We check Facebook. Challenge. Physical blindness inhibits life. And just as physical blindness inhibits life, so does spiritual blindness. Which is kind of the reality, it's this inability to interpret life in light of who God is, what he has done, and what he has called us to in this place. Spiritual blindness leads us to think things are much better than they are. Or more to the point, to think we're much better than we are. We have this warped view about ourselves and about the world. And this is often called spiritual blindness. Now, to make matters worse, we also live in a cultural moment. And this moment is not the cause of our spiritual blindness, but it doesn't make the problem better. In fact, it amplifies the spiritual blindness that we all experience in this world. What we are seeing in the Western world is the rise of a new ethic, a new power, a new power that has broken free altogether of a Christian worldview and is now revolving around the individual. It used to be that people had some sense of God, that some sense of the Christian story, but that's no longer the case. Because this new ethic and new power revolves around the individual. Personal happiness, self-discovery, autonomy, these are the virtues of our day. And we must be careful that we don't, we must be careful that we miss that this is influencing us as well. 
Now, how did this happen? Right? Let me, let me just, I want to I wanna zero in on one variable that has given rise to this new ethic of the, the enthroned self or individualism. The modern era brought with it many blessings in science, <clears throat> advancements, in medicine, technology, education. The modern era was a good thing. But it also brought with it a set of beliefs. And these beliefs are somewhat troublesome for someone who has a belief in Jesus and the authority of Scripture. And I want to, I want to draw attention to one of those beliefs this morning. And it's this. That modern people, modern folks, don't need religion. We don't need a sense of God because we have science, technology, and education. Older, older generations, older civilizations, sure, they needed God to make sense of the world, but we know. There was this progressive vision of the world that we were just going to get better. We had moved on from God. We no longer needed him. And this belief was widely held by the elite thinkers, the professors. It was spread through by our cultural heroes, our musicians and actors. And pretty soon, as most beliefs do, it trickled down from the ivory tower and it, it got plugged into the mainstream. But not so much in an articulated form. Right? No one here would say, would agree with that. No one would articulate that. If you walked in and tried to, if I came up here and started preaching that, you guys would all be like, what are you talking about? Right? But it's, it's more in a functional form. How we live life. Some examples. One example of this would be if you're experiencing a health issue. What's the first thing you do? You call a doctor. Maybe if you're having trouble paying the bills, what's the first thing you do? Find a better job. Get a better salary. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying, if you're a doctor here, I'm not, I'm not dogging you. If you're a teacher, I'm not, I'm not dogging you. But I'm concerned with the dynamic that is created in our lives when every challenge and every problem we have, we look to a human solution. We've lost a sense for God. We live our lives sufficient, autonomous. And God is, is maybe an afterthought. Maybe you, you experience this in the morning. You have your time with the word, but then the rest of your day, God's just kind of chasing you down. You don't give much thought to him. This has been created because of the culture that we live in. Now, God's word has good news for us this morning. And that is that Jesus, the light of the world, wants to open your eyes to see the world in light of him. Jesus is inviting us to rethink our lives in light of who he is and who he says he is. And we're going to see this in three ways. First, the light gives sight by delivering from darkness. The light gives sight by pushing darkness out. And the light gives sight 
by providing the source of light. Delivering from darkness, pushing the darkness out, and providing the source of light. First point, the light gives sight by delivering us from darkness. The immediate context in this passage is a Jewish festival, the Festival of Tabernacles. And this was a festival that uh, the, the people of Israel would gather in Jerusalem and they would live in booths, or you could maybe think of it in the terms of tents. They would set tents up and they would live in these tents or booths to remember the Exodus, to remember the time when Jesus or when God delivered them from slavery. It was, a, it was a crazy significant time for the life of a Jew. It was a time to thank God for the harvest, but also to thank God for deliverance from slavery. And there were a few rituals that had been uh, developed in this festival. One was significant for what Jesus is saying. It was the light ceremony. And the light ceremony was this every, every year in Israel's life, they would gather for this festival and they would have this light ceremony. And it was in the temple area and everyone was invited and there were these big, tall pillars, like 30 feet in the air, 30, 40 feet. And they had these huge bowls. They were just big bowls filled with oil. And there were four in this court in the temple. And listen to what it says in the Mishnah, which is one of the Jewish uh, books kind of chronicling the rabbi's teaching. They said, these 16 golden bowls reached by ladders were filled with oil and worn undergarments of the priests were used as wicks. (laughs) When these lamps were lit at night, so the rabbis said, all of Jerusalem was illumined. Think of a world without artificial light. This thing just lit up the city like never before. Choirs of Levites would sing during the lighting while men of piety and good works danced in the streets carrying torches and singing hymns. This was a party. Like they were getting down. Men didn't dance in the streets on a regular basis in Jerusalem. This was a unique moment. And it's on the heels of this ceremony that Jesus emerges and says, I am the light of the world. It might, we might even say that the, the lamps were still singeing and Jesus is saying, I am the light. And a Jew hearing this would say, whoa, what? He's, he is referring to Yahweh to this great pillar of fire that delivered the people of Israel from slavery. But he's also looking forward. Jesus is telling us something about his plan to deliver sinners from spiritual slavery, which we will see in the story. These people hadn't seen Jesus die on a cross. We know that Jesus died on the cross for sin. He absorbed the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And he did that to deliver us from the darkness of sin. Jesus delivers us from darkness. Now, if we look at chapter 8, 
John 8, he makes this statement. There's a large chunk where the Jewish leaders are just coming at him. They're like, who are you? What are you talking about? You need, you need some credibility. You need some witnesses. And there's something here about the way light doesn't really need a witness. It testifies to itself. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. But then at the, after that, at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus does something to validate what he said in verse 12. He heals a man. He heals a blind man by giving him sight. Jesus validates what he has said by a miracle. And he gives sight to the blind man. Deliverance from darkness is like giving sight to a blind person. Now, you might be here this morning and you're not a Christian. You're here because someone dragged you here or you just want to be nice and they keep asking and you're here. A couple things. If that's you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. If you're here with us, we're so, we're so stinking glad you're here. But a couple things that I think are worth reflecting on. There, we believe here at Parkview, as Christians, that there is a spiritual longing inside all of us. To be a human is to have this sense of longing for something more. And maybe, maybe it looks more like an angst. You, you can't, can't figure out where it is. You can't name it. But there's a spiritual longing inside all of us. Now, the belief that we talked about in the beginning of modern people just don't need religion anymore because we have science and education, that's actually been proven false. Christianity and religion in general is not dying out. There are plenty of statistics to, to argue against that. It's actually growing. And it's not just in third world countries. There are well-developed countries where religion is flourishing and thriving. And it begs the question, what's going on there? There is this spiritual longing inside all of us. To be human is to be spiritual. And what Jesus is showing us is he's trying to get us to think underneath the surface. He's trying to get us underneath to the heart, to the mind, to the will. And we believe that the greatest problem for a human is sin. And Jesus is the one who can deliver you from the darkness of sin. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, welcome. We're so glad you're here. But this is our message. Our message is saying that our greatest need is a deliverance from the darkness of sin. And praise God that you can belong before you believe. This, this is a place where we want to welcome people to rethink their lives in light of what Jesus has done. Okay, that's the first point. The light gives sight by delivering from darkness. Let's look at the second point. The light gives light by pushing darkness out. He says in verse 12, if you look at verse 12, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, 
and his presence drives darkness out. It pushes the darkness out. Now, implied in this follower of Jesus, this one following after the light, think of the pillar in the desert. Israel was following the pillar. There is, it implies movement. There is something here. The one who follows Jesus will not walk in darkness. There's this movement that we are going somewhere. And the undercurrent of this entire passage is one of proximity. The invitation is to get as close to the light as you can. To hurry up and get so close to Jesus that you can feel the heat of his light. And in that, the darkness is pushed out and we can see and think like 3D, 4D. Have you heard of the 4D that's out? This is like 4D vision where you can see crystal clear reality because you have been connected to God. Now, what is darkness? He pushes darkness out. What is, what is darkness? There's... I mean, we can't get really specific when we think about this, but darkness is the opposite of light. It's the absence of light. And so the opposite of light, um, light is life. Uh, darkness is death. It's, um, it's an existence void of God. I think of the descriptors of cold. It is detached from God. Kind of like Kind of like a, a cold, dark place in your basement where, like, the yuck grows, right? You ever had mold in your basement? That's kind of what the darkness is. It's that place that no one ever wants to go. There's yucky stuff growing there. And Jesus is he's pushing that out. Think of the light opens up, and you see the darkness. Now, there's, there's micro and macro implications for this. As we draw closer to the light, what is exposed is darkness in us. As we get closer to Jesus, we see that things aren't as they seem. I thought I, thought I was this, but my heart tells me I'm this. And that's part of why we pull back from the light. But we don't want to look at that, right? I was just meeting with a guy over at Central Campus, and he's looking at some pretty hard stuff. And he goes, I've avoided thinking about this for years. We don't want to look. But the invitation is to look, because in that we will find life. But also true is kind of a macro implication. The people of God, as the people of God are people of light... They, they find a, a passion to push back against darkness in our society, in our city, in our country. The injustices, the human cruelty. A Christian who is so close to the light sees the darkness of this world with crystal clarity. The light gives sight by pushing darkness out. I love to camp. I don't, does anyone in here love to camp or go hiking? Yeah, put them up. 
So one of the, one of the, one of the most critical pieces of equipment is the headlamp. You familiar with the headlamp? The headlamp is a piece of elastic that goes around your forehead with a little light on it. And that's kind of like what this point is really saying, is when you're near to Jesus, he gives you a headlamp. And it's not like the, the little dinky headlamps. Think of like a floodlight on the front of your forehead. It's like a giant Jesus-sized headlamp. And it gives you just perfect sight. You can see at great distance. You can see around. He lightens up everything. And so as you engage your life, engage your relationships and this dark world, you're looking and your headlamp is pushing out the darkness. Now, one of the things, if we keep taking that illustration somewhere, one of the things that you might notice is a headlamp, I mean, you can, you can shine it on yourself, but it's kind of hard. And there's places that I can't shine my headlamp. Back of my head, the, my back, uh, you know? There's, there's places that we don't have an angle on. And this is why we need people in our lives that are helping us identify darkness. And that's one of these micro-implications. So who in your life is helping you identify darkness? Maybe a spouse? Maybe a community group? Hey, that'd be a great one. Pastor of community groups, love to talk to you about that. Maybe it's accountability partner? Have you invited someone in to have that influence in your life? Hey, Susie, I'm so grateful for your friendship. I'm so grateful for your love for Jesus. I love Jesus. Hey, would you, would you help me? There are parts of my uggo, of my uggo sin, the mold that's grown inside me. There are parts of it that I can't see. Would you help me with that? Can you imagine what might happen with that conversation? Wow. We have to change our posture here. Because the truth is that when someone comes, maybe uninvited, to kind of say, hey, that's, that's pretty uggo. Like, that mold and that whatever that is, we kind of put the dukes up, right? Or we explain away. Or, we, or at bad, the worst case scenario is we fire back. You see that in me? Well, I see that in you. Touche. We, we need to change our posture. And that's what this passage is inviting us into. It's inviting us, if we want to get so close to the light, that's going to include bringing brothers and sisters around us to help us Get the light all around and expose all of the darkness. But also there's a macro implication. And this has to do with us as a people, as a team of people. We need to be a people that are committed and cooperating in pushing against the darkness in our world. Those who are close to Jesus, you're going to see it. It's going to make you frustrated. It's, it should anger you when you see injustice in this world. 
the conversation that Doug was talking about, the Christian and race. This is something you should be angry about. Racial injustice, the sanctity of human life. There are plenty of injustices in our world. And we need to be a people that are joining with Jesus and pushing back against the darkness. To put on that headlamp and get after it. Now, on to the last point. Point three. The light gives sight by providing the source of life. The promise at the end of verse 12 is the one who follows the light will have the light of life. And the image here is one who is so close to Jesus. He's saying, when you have me, you have the light who is life. You have the light of life. The light of Jesus will give you life. Now, it's challenging for us to really capture the force of what Jesus is saying here. Because we live in the modern world, I can go flip a switch on, and we have light, right? I can, I can go in my office, flip the switch on. I can go in my kitchen, flip the switch on. This was not the, the world for an ancient person. For an ancient person, life stopped when the sun went down. You stopped working. Your social life, it, it hit the pause button. They didn't have Pizza Ranch in the ancient world. You couldn't go hang out with your friends after hours. No, life stopped. All of life revolved around the rising and the setting of the sun. And this is exactly, Jesus is getting at this dependence. He's saying that for a life, the life of a Christian, it revolves around him. It has to. The light gives sight by providing the source of life. Now, some of you may know about a tanning reflector. So these, we don't see these as, as often now that we do, but a tanning reflector was this piece of, I don't know if it's cardboard, it was a piece of a material that you would fold up, or you would unfold it, and you would hold it right in front of you. And the whole point was that it would reflect the sunlight, boom, and it would bounce off the board and give you a nice crispy suntan, right? You, you're thinking of what I'm talking about? You, you've probably seen pictures it was this sun reflector where you would go out in your backyard, you'd go to the beach, and you'd unfold your reflector, and you would just kind of sit there. And the light would bounce off of it and, and just like toast you up, give you a good old suntan. You'd probably even feel the heat of it. And this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, you need, you need to open your reflector and get as close to me. The light is shining. I'm here but you need to get as close to me and absorb my glory, absorb my truth, absorb all that I am and what that means for your life. What do I mean? The invitation this morning is to get super, super close to Jesus. 
If, if that hasn't been clear, then I have done a really bad job preaching this sermon. The invitation is to get so close to Jesus, and some of us need to chase him down because he's far away. He's down the football field. You need to run hard after him. And then when you get there, you need to open up your reflector and just enjoy the presence of Jesus, the light of forgiveness, the light of deliverance, the light of his beauty and glory. Oh, what that would mean for the way we live our lives. What would that mean if we are walking around with this light reflector absorbing the glory of Jesus when we go to the store, absorbing the truth of Jesus as we parent our kids or as we watch them disobey and, and my daughter struggles to share and hits and throws fits. What if, what, how would it be different if I am absorbing constantly? I got my tanning reflector out and I'm feeling the heat of Jesus. That would change the way I'm engaging all of life. Now, as we wrap up, how, take the whole passage. How does this passage shape life? What does it look like to really take John 8, 12, Jesus as the light of the world? What, what does it look like if we are to take that to eat it and to become it? What would it look like? Think about like a mom. Mothering is hard work. I'm learning that. I went out on a date with my wife last night and she was just giving me a window into her experience as a mom. And maybe, maybe you feel like you're being cooked in an Instapot, right? There's all this pressure. Am I doing a good job? Do my kids love me? Or do they even like me? What, what does this passage look like? Because the temptation is to respond to that pressure and maybe go to Pinterest, right? Hey, if I just beef up on the creativity, if I come up with this cool idea, if I keep up with Superman down the street, maybe I'll feel better. And this passage is inviting us, so not dogging on Pinterest, I know it's awesome, I've actually been on it. Maybe you need to go to Pinterest, but first, what does it look like to open up your reflector? and to absorb the work of Jesus who has delivered you from slavery to sin. He has restored you by offering forgiveness. What would it look like to know that we don't prove ourselves by our mothering or our parenting in general? And the trajectory of the Bible is actually that we have been delivered from slavery to sin, but also that we have become sons and daughters. What would it look like the way we engage our kids as a son or as a daughter? Be different. Or what about our relationship to the city or to our country? It can be very tempting to look at our city and the country and to get discouraged. To be like, what is happening out there? And we retreat from it. 
or we get combative and we, we just double down on politicking and we double down on going to the school board. Got to make sure, um, got to make sure that we tell them what's going on. And we, we kind of get combative. Let me suggest that this passage is, is helping us learn what it looks like to lovingly engage a dark city. To lovingly engage a dark country. As we lean into the light who gives sight by delivering us from darkness, what we're going to learn is we're going to understand bondage to sin. We are encouraged towards mercy to understand, wow, I was blind once, and Jesus in his grace gave me eyes to see. I was enslaved to myself and to sin, and Jesus came and set, set me free. It's going to create a posture of grace and mercy as we look at a dark world who doesn't know Jesus or have any sense of God. But it's also going to help us understand why we get so emotional about it. You should, I'm not saying don't get emotional about the darkness you see in your world. As you draw near to Jesus, he is just as angry at the injustice. But we need to lean on him. So, Jesus the light of the world, wants to give you eyes to see the world in light of who he is. He is inviting you this morning to get super close to him, to get your tanning reflector out, to put your headlamp on, and to absorb his glory, his mercy, his grace, and hopefully change your life. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would take your word and press it into our hearts, deep into our hearts, deep into our minds, deep into everything about us. I pray that this sermon would ring in our ears Monday through Saturday. I pray that Tuesday morning you would remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. Would you encourage us, give us courage to engage the darkness and mold that grows in our heart and give us boldness and passion as we push back against the darkness in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.